0: Chapter 6 of The New Adventures of Alice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The New Adventures of Alice by John Ray. Chapter 6 It's a Dangerous Place. Almost before the snipe had finished his warning alice found herself mounted on one of the dappled bell horses and galloping along at a furious pace on a dark road which wound in and out through a very dismal forest of twisted bare trees the bell on her horse's collar made a terrifying amount of noise in the silent woods i'm sure the beggars will hear it and know where i am said alice half aloud she finally managed to reach down over her horse's neck and tie her handkerchief about the bell-clapper she could now hear the watch-dogs barking far in the rear and had just settled herself quite comfortably in the big wooden saddle when a friendly voice behind her panted i say wait up a bit can't you What's your hurry? Though for that matter, I'm usually in a hurry myself. It keeps you busy being a hero, always running about, to drowning accidents and affairs of that sort. The owner of the voice had now caught up with Alice, who was pulling in the bell horse as well as she could. Looking down, she saw a short, very fat little fellow, dripping wet from head to foot, running along beside her as fast as his ridiculously short, chubby legs would carry him under his arm he carried a small white kitten just like my own pussykins thought alice which was wetter if possible than he there's nothing for you to be afraid of now that i'm here he continued cheerily i'm sure the beggars would never dare to follow you into this forest anyhow for they know it's a dangerous place and full of dangerous people the raven lives here he continued in his gossipy way the one with the frightful voice you know and the old man who wouldn't say his prayers and john o'gudgeon the wild man and peg's father the miller and marjorie Daw, and the four-and-twenty tailors though of course they're not so very dangerous he added reassuringly for alice was beginning to look just a bit frightened "'Don't you think you'd better get up here behind me and ride a she suggested, for the roly-poly little fellow was beginning to puff from his exertions in keeping up with the galloping bell-horse. And anyhow, it would be rather a comfort, she thought, under the circumstances, to have such a hero as Johnny Stout near her for a while at least. He assented very readily, and handing Alice the bedraggled white kitten, clambered up, panting. The further they rode into the wood the darker it became the trees were now so tall and the branches so interwoven that no sky was to be seen From these gnarled black branches hung long gray moss Like the threadbare garments of ugly old Giants In fact, I'm not at all sure that they are really trees and not ogres of some sort said Alice to herself Once or twice she looked back over her shoulder, and it was very disturbing to notice that the trees had apparently closed in behind them and seemed to be standing in the road, pointing at her and whispering together. In these rather terrifying surroundings, it was a comfort to have the little white kitten to hug, damp though it was. "'It's purring sounds very home-like,' thought Alice.' must be long past tea-time and this riding gives a chap an awful appetite sighed johnny stout after they had gone what seemed miles and miles it was now almost pitch dark we'll soon be at the mill though and if you'll just pretend you've a wooden leg we may get a dumpling or two alice was about to ask for an explanation of this puzzling remark when she caught sight of a lighted window through the trees ahead and heard the clattering and creaking of a mill wheel what a strange place for a mill here in this deep forest she exclaimed but perhaps it's a sawmill you're almost right said johnny but not exactly it's an axe mill a place where they grind axes you know they have to have axes to cut down trees and make axe-helves to say nothing of the jack-straws and toothpicks they make from the smaller pieces as they drew nearer they heard loud harsh voices raised in angry dispute they're always at it said johnny never saw such a family for fighting you see the old miller has dyspepsia and no wonder he lives on crab-apple dumplings by this time they had almost reached the mill the door of which now burst violently open Out hopped a disheveled young woman with a wooden leg Followed closely by an ugly bold man who stopped just outside the door to hurl a huge heavy-looking dumpling at her What did I tell you chuckled Johnny that old? There had risen the most unearthly clamor that Alice had ever heard The bell horse stumbled and fell and as she floated gently to the ground Alice thought she heard Johnny's voice far far away Shouting the raven the raven mind the trees don't fall on you That must be the raven that cried croak and they all fell down said Alice to herself "'And I've only eight lives left,' the kitten murmured sadly, opening one eye, then going to sleep again immediately on Alice's shoulder. Alice was too much interested in what was happening about her to realize that this was the first time the kitten had spoken a word. Everything seemed befalling. The mill had collapsed like a cardboard toy. The miller and his daughter were both sprawling on the ground, and the trees of the forest themselves swayed, tottered, and fell in a curious, noiseless way. Even the road was slowly caving in and becoming a sort of shallow gully. When Alice thought to look for the raven, the great black bird was just disappearing in the distance, and she was almost sure she heard its hoarse, far-off laughter i really can't see that this is all such a joke said alice severely to nobody in particular you'll have to hurry or we'll never catch up to it murmured the kitten in a very sleepy voice pointing feebly ahead then falling asleep immediately as before alice looked and saw the big steaming dumpling rolling slowly along down the sunken road not far ahead of them now that most of the trees had fallen there was more light and she could see quite a distance the bell horse had disappeared so remembering that she was very hungry and feeling too that the sooner they got out of the way of the ill-tempered miller the better alice acted upon the white kitten's advice and started to run as fast as she could after the rolling dumpling before alice had gone more than a dozen yards there came the sound of running footsteps behind her, and thinking that it was surely the miller in swift pursuit, she redoubled her speed and actually flew, for the road was now caving in so rapidly, and Alice was bounding along at such a remarkable speed that her feet only occasionally touched the ground. It was with great relief that Alice soon heard a familiar voice just behind her, panting, "'You need not fear, tis I, my dear!' Looking back she saw the poet whom she had forgotten all about with his long hair streaming out behind him a Pink riding coat several sizes too large Which he was now wearing flapped about his slender legs as he caught up to her with tremendous leaps Alice was really very glad to see him again After all, he is a good-natured fellow, and pleasant company, even if he does always talk in verse, she said to herself. "'I, too, have lost my good bell-horse. The raven was the cause, of course,' said the poet conversationally. Then, noticing the dumpling, which somehow, no matter how fast they went, kept just about the same distance ahead of them, he exclaimed, "'I say, how lucky as for me! I'm just as empty as can be!' We really must increase our speed if on yon dumpling we would feed. But there's the sentry box, my dear, and now perhaps the grenadier Halt! A tremendous voice coming apparently from the sentry box at the side of the road, boomed out, and the next moment a soldier, at least seven feet tall, in a brilliant scarlet and white uniform, and very heavy hobnail shoes, stepped stiffly out. He held a musket in one hand and a large pewter tankard in the other at the thunderous command halt alison the poet stopped short for the huge grenadier was really a terrifying person the dumpling however paid no attention but bounced past the sentry box without any slackening of its speed Alice now noticed for the first time that the dumpling was provided with short arms and legs and was not really rolling But was progressing by turning handsprings in rapid succession The grenadier scowled at it in stupid surprise and again bawled out Halt this time so loud that the tin sentry box rocked and clattered Then to Alice's astonishment He laid his musket on the ground and balanced himself clumsily upon his head taking his musket again and placing it upside down to his shoulder. He now aimed long and carefully at the fast-disappearing dumpling. While the grenadier was doing this, the poet said to Alice in a rapid whisper, He shows by his actions he knows how to shoot, his ideas original, clever and cute. A musket will kick, as you probably know. One's often knocked over, so hard is the blow. One's neck is as likely as not to be broke. He's wise then to stand on his head, I repeat, for when the gun kicks, he'll be knocked to his feet. Moreover, here was a deafening explosion, and from the grenadier's musket came a great puff of white smoke, which instead of quickly blowing away, as smoke usually does, kept spreading and spreading and getting thicker and whiter and thicker and whiter until finally it blocked out the sentry box and the fallen trees and the road End of chapter six